If you've got your Bibles, throw me the book of Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Before I preach, let me, let me just explain something to you about all this stuff that's up here in front of us. Let me be preaching a message to you this morning entitled, The Master Craftsman, The Master Craftsman. Had a little idea last week of just seeing uh, people that I know that done things with their hands, built things, just asking them to bring some of their stuff that they've, that they've had in their house or they've displayed or whatever. And these things that you see up here, everything up here was built and designed by people that you're sitting beside, people in our church. And I'm sure there's others out there that I didn't know about, things that you have done, uh, crafts that you have, have, have just taken scrap wood or paintings or whatever the case may be, and you've done and you've made something out of it, whether that's tables or paintings or, or a bench or a church house. We have a, we have a, a, a bowl that's been carved out, or I don't, know, I don't think carve is the right word, Anyway, whatever you do to it, Bradley, Bradley done all that, you can ask him. But what you don't, what you don't see in here is, you'll have to come up after service, there's, there's round balls that he's made out of, out of wood, and then I thought this was pretty cool, an acorn that was made out of wood that he made, and even the top comes off of it. How neat is that? That's pretty cool. This would be a nice little gift. You get him to make one for you, he'll do that. Probably not. <laughs> I'm setting you up this morning, bud. But all of these things up here has been made by people in our church and had been crafted together. In other words, I want you to keep in your mind that, that they have taken just old scrap wood, or they've taken things that used to be a log, or used to be just wood, board planks, or whatever, and they've put things together to make it nice like this, to make it look like this. Painted a, this used to be a blank canvas, but, uh, but uh, Sabrina painted this. And uh, Sabrina Luttrell painted this. She's got other paintings. It was, it was a long time before I knew that she painted. And she does a beautiful job at painting, but all kinds of things. And like I said, probably many of you out there do things like that that I just didn't know about that I thought was pretty, pretty cool and pretty neat. But we're going to be talking about the master craftsman this morning. Look with me, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, as you know, is the faith chapter. And uh, when it starts off in verse 1, we understand that it says, By, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But it talks about the faith of Abraham. It talks about the faith, uh, by faith Sarah, and by faith Jacob, and by faith Moses, and by faith Abraham, and all these different ones by faith. And then it comes over by, on verse 30, talks about by faith they overcame. Verse 30, and, I, and this is not my text, but by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. But when you skip down to verse 32, and then it says, After all of this, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jehu, and also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions." They quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Story after story they could have went on to tell you concerning the faith that these individuals had. I showed you a few minutes ago or talked to you about this wood up here that was, get, that, that was put together whether it was planks or whether it was boards or whether it was logs and that was hewn out and all of these things, wood craftsmen and finishers, a fine furniture, is probably not as nearly as common today as they were, say, 100 years ago. 
There were some great uh, uh, craftsmen, if you will, 100 years ago, if not more, that, that put things together. They didn't have the modern technology or the saws and all that, but still, it was a marvel at what, they, what they'd done. For that matter, they're not found as much today as they were even 25 years ago. Some of these men and women were literally, I would call, literally artists when it came to taking an old piece of furniture and restoring the elegance and the power back to its original state. Gifted, a lot of workers, they, they would be able to work wonders even out of the simplest form of that furniture. I even read, and you probably know a little bit about this, probably Brother Keith does, he works with wood all the time, that in the New England regions, there's a type of wood that's known as a tupler poplar. If you ever heard of that type of wood, it's sometimes referred to as a white wood, and occasionally they said it'd be called a tulip. This wood, though, has a very unique capability in that it can imitate other woods that are far more valuable than what the tulip poplar is, either a walnut or a birch or mahogany. They say that this white wood, this tulip poplar grain, can be taken by a master craftsman and be turned into a wood that imitates that perfect mahogany or that perfect birch and even a straight grain maple. They give it a term, and it's a term like this, when the grain is faked. Everybody say faked. Faked. A lesser wood becomes far more valuable in appearance. It becomes far more valuable in appearance. There are some of these things that are up here that is before you that if you saw the before picture, so to speak, it was just a scrap of wood. Maybe had knots and nails and screws and all these kinds of things in it, but it was taken and it was cleaned up and it was sanded down possibly and, 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 and planed off and, and prepared and made something where you can sit in your house or look at it. It was faked together, in other words, to put something where it looks nicer than what it appeared. But what about that that happens to a life of a man when it comes under the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ? When the Lord Jesus Christ, or a term of master craftsman, gets a hold of it, we probably could take a little while and have a testimony service, and every one of you could stand up and say, Pastor, you wouldn't have known me before the master craftsman got a hold of me. You wouldn't have recognized me before Jesus got a hold of me. I mean, I didn't look like nothing. I didn't appear like nothing. I was just a bunch of old dead wood, so to speak. I had a bunch of nails in me. I had a bunch of hard places in me. I had some cold issues I had to work through. But by and by, Jesus got a hold of my life, and he cleaned me up. He took out the hard places and he, and he took out the screws and he took out the nails of my life that had pounded in my life that I thought was so difficult and thought was so hard that I thought I would never overcome. And I'm sitting here today, a fine piece of furniture, simply because of the master craftsman, simply because of what the Lord has done for me. In other words, the weak vessel that you were became strong. The weak vessel that you were became strong. Now, when you look in the scriptures, there's all kinds of examples about this in the word of God. Matter of fact, when you look in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 and 4, in the King James Version, the Bible says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, 
declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power of almighty God. Amen. And you can look on down in 2 Corinthians 3 and 5. And the Bible says, not that we were are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is in God. Amen. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. In King James, the Bible says, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times, thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, he said, I take pleasure pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in necessities. I take pleasure in persecutions. I take pleasure in distresses for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am made strong. Hallelujah. What are you saying, pastor? In my old life, I might not have bent that way, but in my new life, I can bend that way. In my old life, you may have come against me and I, and I would have had something harsh to say. But in my new life, come against me and I glory in my persecutions. I glory because I know when I'm weak, he makes me strong. When I'm weak, he makes me strong. Amen. So when you think about the skill of these master craftsmen, people that made furniture, sometimes they would take this wood and they would take filler, a paste, and they would fill all the pores and they would fill all the defects of the wood. And they would sand it off to a smooth finish that it could be applied to. And it would look better. I've known many, many folks, and you have too, over the years whose lives were scarred by sin, who was filled with the defects of terrible choices, who was dented by uncaring hands of the world. They've managed to find their way to an old-fashioned place of prayer, and all of a sudden God came in, and he was able to change the situation. He was able to fake the grain, if you will, making them into so much more than they ever thought they could be. Why, Pastor? Because there's power in the God gospel of Jesus Christ. There's power in salvation. There's power in the Holy Spirit today. There's power when the Lord Jesus Christ comes on an individual and cleans that individual up, be they male or be they female. My life could have been reeked with drugs and alcohol and been all out of shape, Brother Joe, but the Lord saw worth in me one day and he come, Brother Reigns, and he filled in the pores and he filled in the defects and he sanded me off and he worked a little work in me and now I'm able, I'm able to praise his name and now I'm able to sit here today and now I'm able to lift holy hands to give the Lord Jesus Christ praise. Why? Because he come in and he faked the grain in my life <laughs> and made me something of value. Hallelujah. Roman tells it this way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel 
For Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And I'm not the only one he done that way, and you're not the only one he done that way either. There's hundreds of scriptures in the Bible and instances and stories of God taking these imperfection uh, individuals and make them perfect. Has anybody ever heard of Jacob's limp in the Bible? Go back to the Old Testament and read that. Jacob was a man in the Old Testament, had a limp. He had a weakness, but it was through him that the lineage of Jesus Christ was to appear. This guy that had the issue. From the outset of this guy's life, Jacob appears to have been chosen by God to fulfill a purpose. His purpose was to have a son named Joseph who would refuse to let bitterness ruin him. This guy I'm talking about, Jacob, he's the man who, who met God at Bethel. He's the man who saw the golden ladder uh, in his dream. He's the man who saw angels ascending and descending from the throne of heaven upon this ladder. This was the man who buried the idolatrous gods of his wives. Jacob was the man whose grain would have need a reformation and a refining by the master craftsman. Why? Because they also said of this guy that he was a conniver. He was a deceiver. He was a cheat. He was a spoiled mama's boy. He was dishonest to his father and his father-in-law. He's the man that stole the birthright. He looked for situations that would help him come out on the top. And every one of these things, we could go on and on, were deficiencies in the character of Jacob. His grain did not look too good. It didn't look too hot. But can I tell you, despite all of this, Despite all of this, God saw something in his life of Jacob that he knew that if he is given a little time and he's given a little energy and he's given a little effort, the grain of Jacob's soul could be changed. Amen. Aren't you thankful that God gave you a little time? Aren't you thankful that God shared a little bit of his life with you? Aren't you thankful this morning that he gave you a little more energy and gave you a little more effort and gave you a little more consideration? Amen. Thank God that he did. And there came a time in Jacob's life, and it also comes in ours, that when we come to the place that we know, that we know that we desperately need God. We gotta have him. There came a place in Jacob's life, I desperately need God. Matter of fact, you go on and read the story. He entered a midnight fee, free-for-all, if you will. He entered a midnight free-for-all, and he left the wrestling match with a limp. And he left with God, though. He showed up without God, but he left with God. He decided, God, I ain't going to let you go until you bless me. He got desperate enough, Brother Joe, I'm going to get in my prayer closet, and I ain't coming out until you bless me, God. I ain't letting go of you. And the angel trying to get loose, and God's trying to get loose, and Jacob's holding on. And God touched him and gave him a limp. He left that night with a faked grain, something that had once been so wild and not worth much, was worth far more in the master's hand. Because the master's hand touched his thigh and he wrestled with Jacob's soul. And Jacob, the Bible said, would bear that limp the rest of his life. But his name would be different and his blessing from God would escalate from that moment forth. Matter of fact, the place where Jacob met God was a place called Peniel, which simply means face of God, the face of God. Every time that you and I meet God face to face, we are marked and we're changed by the master craftsman. Every time we get serious, 
serious enough to say, God, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to go where you are going. I want to say what you're saying. I want to do what you're doing. I'm going to hold on to you, and I'm not going to let go. Every time that we get that way, Brother Reigns, we're marked with the blessing of Almighty God, and our life suddenly changes from that moment on. You say, Pastor, you don't know where I come from. I ain't got to. All you got to do is just give God an opportunity to work on your wood. Some of you got wet wood. Some of you got messed up wood. Some of you got wood that's got knots all in it. Mm. Some of you got wood that's got splinters all in it. You ever got a splinter in your finger from a piece of wood? That hurts, doesn't it? And then you ever broke that splinter off and it just stayed there until it worked itself out of your finger? That even works. But it's tough, but it'll work. But Jacob got a hold of God. It's a failure of our own to go to Peniel and return the same way we showed up. Think about that. It's a failure of our own to get to that place. Take our problem, if you will, to the altar. Take our problem to God and get up and leave with the same problem. God doesn't work that way. God can change your life. Amen. There has to be a change of grain in our souls. The value of our soul depends on how much we're willing to allow God to change us. There'll certainly be a limp, but with the limp comes a change of identity, and that's what God is looking at. Matter of fact, they say that if you change a man's identity, you will change his destiny. Think about that, and I think it's true. How do you know that? Abram was changed to Abraham. Syria was changed to Sarah. Saul was changed to Paul. And all of this happened when these people finally decided, I'm going to have an encounter with Almighty God. Matter of fact, Hebrews 11.34 tells it this way, that out of my weakness we are made strong. Amen. It was Jacob's limp that set him apart. It was when he, his grain got changed and, but, but he became what God wanted him to be when he let that weakness become his strength. Amen. Jacob. God does some work in his life. There's another guy in the Bible by the name of Moses. What are you talking about, Mo, Pastor? Moses had no issue. Yes, he did. Moses was a great deliverer of Israel. Yes, he was, but he had an issue. He had a stuttering problem. He had a speech impediment. And God told him to go and get my people out of Egypt. Now think about this. You've got to just get this story in concept. Here's a guy. Matter of fact, would you believe if I told you, now some of you will because you read the scriptures, would you believe if I told you that this guy, that God spoke to this guy through a bush that was burning but was not consumed? A burning bush. He had that encounter with God. But when you look at this guy, Moses had it all. He had the best education. He lived in the best house, the best palace in Egypt. He had the best chariot to ride on, all of these. He had it all. He was exiled to the desert for 40 years. He saw the burning bush and he heard the plan of Almighty God. And it all sounded good to him. Just go in there and tell Pharaoh to take a hike and let the people go. Just, just let God do the work and everything else would be fine. And that was until Moses looked at his own self and said, God, this all sounds good and I know my people needs to be delivered, but you're wanting me to go. I got, I got some issues here. I, I, I'm looking at myself and I, and I see far less, God, than what you see. 
I don't see worth in me at all. Why is that with Moses? More importantly, why is that way with all and many of us? Because God divulges just a part of his plan for our lives and we suddenly look around and we begin to feel inferior to what God has called us to do. I felt this way one time, felt it way many times, but one specifically, one specific instance was several years ago when I was elected on the state council dad for the first time. In Arkansas, when you're elected on the state council, one of your jobs is at camp meeting, you take up an offering. Now, that doesn't seem like a, a big thing to do, but it is. it was to me. One of the reasons it was because my dad, he took up offerings for years, and he was known in Arkansas as the offering taker in camp meeting. If you've been around Arkansas long enough, I promise you, just go and ask some of these guys. He was the guy that you'd go to if you needed an offering. He'd get up, and he'd take an offering, and, he, and it made it sound so good, you just want to give. My offering taking ain't that way. And Sister Jan, I had to get up and take an offering. I said, Lord, what am I going to do? I'm inferior to my father, and I ain't got what it takes. Hello, we've all been there, right? And Moses began to look at himself. And all of this sounded good, but I, Lord, I've got a stuttering issue. I've, I've got a speech impediment. And God just divulges just enough of the plan in our lives to make us and begin feel inferior. But Moses remembered his terrible uh, stuttering problem. All the business sounds good, but God, I can't talk. Don't you remember, God, I stutter, God. I can't go before Pharaoh. There is no way I can go before the prince and the king of Egypt. Right? That, that, there's no way. But in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither here, the here, heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. This is the same guy here that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. This is the same guy that received the law of Mount Sinai. This is the same guy that held out his rod over the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted for the children of Israel to cross over on dry ground. This is the same guy that crushed the golden calf. This is the same guy that he presented the plans for the tabernacle. There are others that could be added and we could go on and on but very few of us would have even mentioned that Moses had a problem with his speech because of all the great exploits that Moses did and we forget sometimes the deficiencies of life in great men and women of God but they were flesh and they were blood just like you and I are they had their ups and they had their downs they just refused to let the deficiencies rule them and weigh them down and if you don't hear nothing else I've said today if you're here sitting under the sound of my voice do not allow your deficiencies and those things you feel inferior to to allow Jesus Christ not to work a work in your life with God all things are possible Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All things are possible. Listen to me. Revivals are not born so much out of perfection as they are born out of determination. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? A hunger and a thirst for revival is what we must be baptized with. That's how he gets us up out of the grave, as Brother Caleb was singing about earlier. That's why he can change our life, as they were singing about. That's why he can take us when we're nothing, and we're just old scrap lumber, that we don't look like much. Just an old pile of rubbish. And he can take that old scrap of rubbish and make something beautiful out of it. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what God can do. 
See, we perceive that our value is so, is so insignificant that God can't do much with us. And I'm not so much talking about, about sin in our lives, but, we, we, but I'm talking about the belief that everything has to be perfect before revival can come. Let me, let me get down where we are today. Pastor, I'm here today and I need to be saved, but I've got some issues in my life. I've got to get fixed first before I can get saved. That's wrong thinking. It's wrong thinking. Why don't you get saved first and let God help you get rid of some of that stuff? If you, if you could have done that, you'd have already done it years ago, but, it, but you hadn't done it yet. I can't come to church regularly, Pastor, because this is what I'm supposed to do. Let God work on you. Let God work on your deficiencies. Let God work on those areas of your life where you feel like you're inferior to everything. Let God mold you, amen. I mean, just like Moses, we, we say that we're not competent enough, but it's God who delivers the people. Don't let us forget that. Just like Gideon, we say that we don't have enough resources, but God gets a small army together and equips them with an outrageous number to overcome the impossible, to defeat the Midianites. Just like the lazy man of Proverbs 22 and 13, we say that there's a lion in the streets, and whether there is one or not, we often forget that it's God that's able to shut the lion's mouth. Amen. He done that. Oh, Daniel got thrown in the lion's den one day, right? Just like Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, we say that we're too young and we don't have enough experience, but God took Jeremiah's inexperience and made a nation out of him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just like the man who hid his talent because he feared the master in Matthew 25. We say that God does not allow room for mistakes, and so we're locked down with paralysis many times. We don't want to do nothing for God. Just like the men in Luke 14, we let land and cows and wives, which are the common pressures of life, to hinder our involvement in the church. I'm preaching better than you shout this morning. But we allow that every time. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along the line, the grain is going to have to be faked by the master craftsman. Jacob's limp, Moses' stutter did not stop them. In fact, when you read through Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you note a very loud voice of authority and power that came from Moses all throughout those scriptures. God, listen to me, God is not looking for perfection as much as he's looking for you to be available for him. God needs your availability. He needs you to be available. He needs you to be present in his work. He needs you to be open in the work that he wants to work in your life. Amen. I mean, if you can't do it, nobody else can, right? Because he's calling you for that particular job. And so this woodworker, this master craftsman, if you will, in extreme cases of wood, he'll take this strongly pigmented stain, if you will, to, and cover the wood and stain the wood. And besides coloring the wood, the grain now becomes obscured and becomes hidden. Colossians 3 and 2 says this. says, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. What are you talking about, pastor? Talking about the affection. The affection is set. Suddenly life is hid with Christ in God because Christ has a way of coming in and hiding all of my imperfections. Isn't that cool? Christ has a way of coming in and, and filling in all the gaps. I may not have could have done it, but he could have done it. Now I know that's not good English, but it sounds good anyway. 
could have said what I needed to say, but with Christ, he allowed me to say it in the way you could understand it. Amen. I may not have could have done all of these things that these people done, Pastor, but, but God can do and use you for whatever he wants to use you for. See, the, the, the good thing about it, all of us has different abilities and all of us has different talents. And God is wanting to use that ability and that talent in your hands to use it for his kingdom, to use it for growth, amen. Again, Hebrews eleven thirty four. 34, out of our weakness, he is made strong. There's a story, another story I read in the scriptures about Hannah. Hannah was a woman in the Old Testament. Hannah was a woman that had a devoted husband. She lived in a good place. She had a love for God and she had a love for the law, but, but, her, but, but she had a grain that was not good. What was her grain, Pastor? Because I don't remember any of that in Hannah's life. Hannah's grain was this. She had no children. She was barren. She had no children. With Hannah, she's placed outside of the parameters that held Jacob and Moses together. Necessity sent Jacob to Peniah. Divine appointment sent Moses to the burning bush. But with Hannah, Brother Roger, it was a spiritual hunger that put Hannah in the place of worship. You go back and read the story. She showed up in the temple one day and she began to pray, Lord, give me a child. Give me a child. Give me a child. Give me a child. Not only did she say that, she said, Lord, if you give me a child. Now think about this, Mama. I'll give him back to you. I'll give it back to you. Powerful testimony of someone who had a bad grain but was willing to let it motivate her to a place of change. When I read this scripture, I thought about Granny and, 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 and Uncle CJ, your brother, baby brother. And y'all heard Dad tell this story before when he was just a little bitty baby crawling around, got a pecan hole and swallowed the pecan hole and lodged in his throat and he lost his wind. I don't know how many hours they were to the hospital, but he, but he turned blue and lost all the teeth out of his head, all of that. And, and, and Granny, he said this, I wasn't there, but he said he remembers Granny taking this child and going out on the back porch and holding this baby boy up in the air and said, God, this was a flower that you blessed my family with and you blessed me with. If you want him, you can have him back, but if you'll give him back to me, I'll give him back to you. My uncle CJ still today preaches the gospel. He don't pastor a church, but he can still tell you, pastored for many years, loves the Lord and ministers and works in a local church even this morning, preaching the gospel. Hannah said, Lord, give me a child. And if you give me a child, I'll give that child back to you. See, that's the great cost of revival. That, this kind of prayer is the great reward of revival also. So, Lord, we want revival. Well, well if, if God sends revival, I may want to do something with you. Lord, I'm willing to be used. If you send revival to my life, if you send revival to my family, if you send revival to my children, if you send revival to my church, God, use me. That's where we mess up sometimes. We want, we want the revival to come. We want the emotional side of revival, but we don't want to be used. Somebody else be used. Let somebody else be touched. How many knows that revival will cost you something? It'll cost you every time. It costs you every time. So how far am I willing to go to get God to work on me? How far am I willing to go for this master craftsman to work on my life and turn something around in my life for the glory of God? Again, Hebrews, out of my weakness, he is made strong. See, the Bible is full of, full of examples of God, of his divine power. 
It's full of examples of, of God with his divine power having a willingness to work with the lesser grains, if you will, of wood and making something tremendous in our lives. This is, this is the point I want you to clue in on as, as we get ready to close this message. He, 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 can, take, he can take these grains in our life that, that didn't look like much and he can make something tremendous in our life. Amos, who is a rough and an uncultured fig farmer that God elevated to preach to Isaiah and Jeroboam of his day. Paul battled with a thorn in the flesh that chafed him and pierced his spirit, but it did not deter his preaching the word of God and to reach the world. John Mark, a soft and untested young man who failed. Matter of fact, you go back and look at the scriptures, Paul and John Mark had a bad, bad argument one day. And Paul sent him packing. That's what the Bible said, right? Well, it may not say sent him packing, but sent him off. And they separated. Couldn't work together anymore. But later on, Paul said, bring John Mark with you because he's profitable to the kingdom. God took him. God not only changed Paul, but he changed John Mark as well. God done some things, and he, he, he became this, 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 this honored elder in the church. David, a young man who stepped up and faced the giant challenges of life. He was a man after God's own heart. He was an adulterer, right? He was a murderer. He'd done some things in scriptures that, that you and I probably wouldn't have never got associated with, but David did it. This, this young guy that was anointed king, same guy that killed Goliath, same guy that Samuel come and, 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 and put the oil on, same guy, same guy. David accepted the challenges of life. We've been talking a little bit on Wednesday night concerning heroes of the faith. We've been dealing with David over the last two or three weeks. I encourage you to come and listen to this message. Elijah, who was a depressed and a downcast prophet. Pastor, Elijah, man, he'd done all kinds of things. Oh, yeah, he did. But y'all must have missed that part where the Bible talked about he was depressed. He was downcast. He went off one day and hid himself and thought, says Jeanette, he was the only guy left that was serving God. God came to him one day in a fire. Wasn't there. He didn't hear God. He thought that was God, but it wasn't. Earthquake showed up. He thought maybe that, that wasn't God. But this guy, who was a depressed, downcast prophet, still heard that small, still voice. And it ushered revival into the land. I don't know how God is speaking to you today. It may be through a fire, and it may be through an earthquake, it may be through a flood, it may be whatever. But can I tell you, you might want to just stop and listen to that small, still voice. How he speaks. Jonah, who ran from God, and then made the adjustments to bring revival to Nineveh. You know the story. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go. Jonah was a little ticked off at Nineveh. They're evil people over there, God. These people, don't want to, they're not going to trust you. They're not going to love you. Hey, I'm not going over there. I'm not going over there. You know the story. He got on a boat, going to leave Nineveh. Storm came up. They didn't know what was going on. and <laughs> Jonas told the guy, I said, if you'll just throw me overboard. Now, that had to take a little guts in itself. 
Land's nowhere near, but just throw me overboard and everything will be all right. You know the story. They took him and they chunked him. But God prepared a great fish and swallowed him up, Brother Adam. Now, we talk about that in, in children's classes and children's stories, but there's some valuable, valuable lessons for you and I in that story. There is. If you'll, if, if you'll notice, think back over your life when you messed up and you blew it royally. Think back and then see if God did not prepare a way out of your escape. Think back. And along with the misery, along with the, with the mistake, God prepared a way for you to go. Prepared a great fish for Jonah and swallowed him up in three days. He was in the belly of that fish. Finally, Jonah says, God, I'll go if you'll just get me out of this fish. And he spit him up on a bank somewhere, stinking, wet, seaweed wrapped all around his neck. And he went to Nineveh, the wicked city, and began to preach. You know the interesting thing about that story that Jonah says this, these people won't follow you. The whole entire city got saved, gave their heart to the Lord. Now what disturbs me still about this story is that Jonah left that scene, Brother Rains, and you never hear of Jonah again in Scripture. You never hear of him again. Now some would say, well, he didn't learn his lesson. Well, I'm sure he learned a lesson. He still didn't like having to go to Nineveh, but he, he was obedient. Didn't like it, but he still was obedient. Can I ask you something? If God calls upon you to do something, just because you don't like doing it, go ahead and do it, but not only just go ahead and do it, change your attitude about it. It could be that when you go ahead and listen and do what God says, you'll leave the picture and never show back up again. That's just something for you to chew on this afternoon. Nowhere else in Scripture you'll hear Jonah again. But a great revival came to Nineveh. Let me close with this. John Piper tells a story of these two elderly ladies, one by the name of Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards, who were killed in a car accident in Cameroon, West Africa. Ruby, when she was there, was over 80 years old and remained single her entire life. She poured out her life for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the poor and the sick. That's what she done. There's another lady by the name of Laura Edwards, was a widow, and she was pushing 80 as well. Laura, she was a medical doctor, and she was serving the sick in Cameroon along with Ruby. One day, they was together in a car, and they was driving to town. The brakes failed on the car. And it shot over the edge of the cliff and killed both of these elderly ladies that was over there doing a good thing. Ministering to the poor and the sick through their abilities. And one would say, well, pastor, that's a tragedy. And really, that depends really how you define tragedy. If you defined it by the American dream, if you will, then yes, it was a tragedy. Wouldn't it have been nice for those two ladies who would have come back home and people would have just poured out in praise and honor for these women? But if you say that they did not waste their lives on trifling things and parties and balloons and all the accolades, then it cannot be a tragedy. 
because they'd done exactly what they were called to do. Mark 8.35 says this, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, and the gospels the same shall save it. Don't waste your life. Can I tell you what happened? Them two ladies, Ruby, and these two, these two friends, they may not have got all the accolades from you and I, but when they shot over that cliff and they died, immediately their next breath was in glory where Jesus Christ was awaiting them, where all the saints of old was awaiting them and giving them the biggest party they could have ever received, a homecoming, if you will, saying, congratulations, you've made it. You've fought the good fight. You've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for you a crown of righteousness. Amen. Your Lord will be your God. There's no need of son in this place because he is the light. Amen. Your reward is the mansion he's prepared for you, streets of gold that he's given you to walk upon. The people that you've led to Christ, the people that you've led to me, crown after crown after crown, we've been given you treasures. You know what they're waiting for right now? These two ladies, this is a true story, by the, fact, by, by the way. Those two ladies, you know what they're waiting for is the time to come, Sister Mavis, when they can take their rubies and they can take their crowns. Pastor, what are you talking about? They can take the rewards because the Bible talks about, I ain't got time this morning to talk about that, but rewards that we will receive in heaven while we're down here. But all the rewards that they've received, they're waiting to cast it at the feet of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Quit looking for perfection and yield yourself to the hand of the master craftsman. Yield yourself to the hand of the master craftsman who wants to come in and fill those rough areas of your life and make it something good. Make it something of value as these treasures are. You see, the thing about it is these treasures, you may not can go and sell all of this stuff for big amounts of money and things like that. But to the person who made them and the person maybe they give them to, it's priceless. It's priceless. Dad gave me a shotgun here a few months ago that his dad gave him when he was just a little boy. I don't know how old you was. You know how old you was? 12 years old. That's been a long time ago, ain't it? <laughs> 12 years old. He said that Paul, they had five, four brothers, five brothers, four brothers, that Papa didn't give any other, any other the boys a gun except for him at 12 years old. I've got that shotgun now. It's a single barrel, 12 gauge shotgun, but he had lost the forearm of the shotgun. Bruce's, uh, or Sabrina's uh, uh, boyfriend, uh, Jordan, I think's his name, he, re he, he restores guns. So I gave him that gun. I said, Jordan, see if you can find me a forearm to this gun. He's been looking and he's been looking. It's been taking him months because every forearm, Brother Joe, that he gets in is the wrong forearm. So he called me the other day and said, Hey, Brother Danny, I found a forearm in Chicago, but here's the thing. It's going to cost you $100 to get it. The rest of them wasn't going to cost you anything. This is what I told him. I said, Jordan, get it. Get it. I don't care what it costs. Get it. Why Why you do that, Pastor? It may not mean nothing to you, but my 12-year-old daddy that I didn't know at that time Passed it down to me, and there'll come a day, Sister Mavis, I'll pass it down to my son, and, and then Adam will pass it down to little Milo one day, and that gun will continue to live. 
See, it may not feel like mean nothing, but they're valuable in the hands that prepared it and those that they blessed it with. God is able to take you and prepare you and to bless you and to fix all the impurities in your life and to restore you the way that you need to be restored. (laughs) Hallelujah. If you'll just let him. Let the master craftsman take you this morning and mold you. Let the master craftsman take you and get all the nails and the screws and the staples and all the stuff out of your life. Let him take you and fix you up. Make you look a little better. On the inside I'm talking about than the way you came today with all heads bowed and eyes closed. Hallelujah. Father, we come before you today. We thank you, Jesus, for your touch upon our life today. We thank you, God, for taking us, taking our vessel and making something of value in our life. We thank you for that. Father, we thank you for when our life was messed up, you didn't give up on us. You provided a way out. When our life was torn with sin, and our life stunk because the wages of sin. God, you didn't give up on us. You took time with us. You put a little energy into us. You sent people our way to minister to us. We didn't even know it at the time, but really you were sending those there to minister to our hearts and to our lives. And God, you saved our soul. You cleaned us up. You made us whole today. We thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus. And now, Lord, I'm asking you this morning for those people that's under the sound of my voice today, those that are visiting today, those regular church members today, regular attenders today, those that's listening online today, wherever we may be, Father, I'm asking you to take our life, change us, fix us up, straighten us the way that we need to be straightened. Do, oh God, what needs to be done. Help us to be obedient to you. Help us, oh God, to give our life to you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. While you remain seated, just for a moment, I want to step down here. If you say, Pastor, I want to be that person that you're talking about. I want to give my life to the Lord. I want Him to take and work on the grain of my life. I want Him to take out the imperfections. I want Him to straighten up that areas of my life that needs straightening. Would you just get out of your seat and join me down here this morning and let me take a little time to pray with you? Let me just take a little time to pray with you. I, w- I want to be that person. I want to be that man. I want to be that, that woman. Thank you, Matt, for coming. I want to be that individual for God to straighten the things up in my life. I want to I be that person. Thank you, Matthew. I want him to work in my life. Thank you, Marilyn. I want God to check my grain out. I want God to pour in the oil, if you will. I want God to 
put the paste in the deficiencies of my life, smooth me back out, and allow his presence to take me from where I am today to where he wants me to go. If that's you, would you come with these three that's here today? Would you come? Would you be bold enough to get out of that seat in the balcony on this main floor? Would you be bold enough to come and surrender your heart to the master craftsman today? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you will, I want you to stand all over the house. Put your hands up toward this way as we pray with these. They're going to sing something and we're going to be going home in just a little bit. But if you feel like you need to come while we pray, please don't hesitate. Please come.